<laughs> Hi, Mark. I'm an alcoholic. Great, uh, great feedback on that. I, I think I'd actually like to hear just one or two more, but I want to comment on a couple things. They're in the big book relative to some stuff brought up. One is uh, I, I ended with a statement that all suffering is self-created. Big book says it another way. It says that all my troubles are my own making. And I, I thank you for talking about, you talked about you're miserable, et cetera, et cetera. Here's the great news is you're creating that. And that's the great news that our big book carries to you. It's perception. So all my troubles are my own making. They are not at fault. Uh, big book talks about you and I have spent our lives living in column one and column two. That way I don't have to take any responsibility for my life. You know, See, it's like I could ask you the question, well, who is miserable? And you would say, well, me, right? Book says that we're here with God's help to be rid of self. And in the process of that, your perceptions of things begin to change tremendously, including this idea of, but again, my troubles are my own making. All suffering is self-generated. A couple comments on fear, and then Dave, have Dave make a couple comments, and I really would like to hear from a couple more people before we move on to the second step exercise. But uh, fear is dis-ease of the ego. Um, <clears throat> there's a part of us that, that feels separate from everybody and everything. And uh, another book calls it a mind-made false sense of self in which we become so identified with our mind. The reason we are so fear-based is my sense of self has been derived externally. And I believe that I am then defined in who I am by... I've, I've, I found this so interesting. So many of you, even Dave, have you noticed it's always my wife. She doesn't have a name. My, my... My, my, you, you know, it's, <laughs> we pick on each other a lot because we love each other. Um, Column one. But back to, but what I really love is my ex-wife. They never have a name. <laughs> and, and I do, I like to stop him and say, excuse me, do they have a name? Yeah, it's Jan. Well, could, could you use Jan from now on? Because and I'm I'm consciously doing that. There's a shift. Then that's another human being, child of God kind of thing. But it's so funny about exes; they never have names. But uh, in dialogues with everybody. But uh, so back to the gentleman. I, I appreciate you talking about all the fears. But the extent to which your sense of self is derived externally is the extent to which you have fear in your life. I.e. Uh, what if the job goes away, then the house goes away, and the car goes away, and all of a sudden I have no identity left? Uh, so, again, I'll say this. The extent to, to which you are experiencing fear is the extent to which your sense of self is being derived externally, via either via relationship, uh, via a career, via the home you live in, the car you drive, the amount of money in your bank. And what I know about all that is, based on my life experience, is all of that is constantly shifting, moving, and changing. And so if I don't get taken to a place where my sense of self is coming from within, coming from within, then I walk around being fear-ridden all the time. Uh, 
I certainly cannot love unconditionally. Uh, I certainly cannot love you as you are. Uh, uh, and I and I take this fear into every area, whether it's work, whether it's a relationship, or whether it's any, anything else. But uh, I wanted to make those comments again. I, I want to say this, I because my experience is the truth that all my troubles are my own making. Um, uh, whether including misery and depression, I've had some horrendous moments of time, periods of time where I suffered severely from depression. Uh, and misery and some other things. And in hindsight, all my troubles were my own making. They were based on very erroneous belief systems and concepts that I had in place. Uh, there's another great book I, I love, uh, Eckhart Tolle, Power Now. And when, he, when he's telling you his story, he, he says uh, a life-changing event for him is one night he made this statement. He says, I can't stand myself. How many of you have made that statement? We all have. And that statement stopped him, and he asked himself a question. Where did I get the idea there's two of me, and what if one of them isn't real? <laughs> and the end result of the whole book was the one that wasn't real collapsed at that moment, and he woke up enlightened. That really is the whole function of the steps. I can't stand myself. It's to collapse the I in you that is miserable if you will. That, that when I look at what the steps do, with God's help, prior to my third step decision, I can be rid of self. And the more that one becomes rid of self, the less one operates in fear or misery and those kinds of things. Thanks, Mark. There's a shift that's already started to occur in the room. You're feeling it. Be conscious and awake to it. I mean, you just listen to the buzz when we stop and everybody's they're all talking about what's going on and, and things that they've, little jewels that they've picked up and people are crying and people are laughing and people are hugging. and we're, we're, we're traveling through, I like to make an analogy of a pipe. From this end of the pipe, you can't see what you want to see. She's trying to look down the pipe and see the end result. And she's going, well, I can't see God and my guy, he's mean and picking on me and I really feel terrible. And what's the answer? I need to know before I'm willing to walk down the pipe. And all I can say to her is walk down the pipe. The view when you get to the other end is going to be completely different. And if you try to get an image in your mind of what the other end view looks like, you're going to shortchange yourself. That statement in the big book I consider and was taught as the greatest promise of the big book, that our problems are of our own making. Because if I make my own problems and the only person that I can change is me and my behaviors and my attitudes with the help of, by the help of God and His grace... That means nobody else in the world has to change. They can still stay, stay the same jerk they've always been. They can still do the exact same behaviors and attitudes and everything else that they've always done. And I can still get better. I can become free. How much freedom do you want? You know, it's a beautiful thing. Um, a number of people have come up to me and talked to me on the break about, you know, well, what about this? And what about that? And I got this situation. You, and, and it's almost like you just don't understand. As I have this situation... <laughs> And you just gave us a tool, and that tool is not going to work on this situation. We're going to give you an entire toolbox of tools. There's 12 steps. There's 12 traditions. There's 12 concepts. There's six warranties. There's all the principles from the lost chapters. There's all these exercises. We're going to have an entire set of tools. You know, If the job requires a wrench and you're trying to fix it with a hammer, it's not going to work. And that's what you're saying to me is, you just what you shared was was great, but it's not going to fit my problem. Well, guess what? You're trying to use the hammer when you need a wrench. 
Wait to the end of the weekend when we've got all the tools. And at the end of the weekend, you'll still, you'll have our email addresses. If you're still having trouble figuring out which tool in the toolbox, that's what this weekend is about. Realizing that your toolbox has been full for years. But we're comfortable brushing our teeth with one hand. So we don't bother to reach in and try our other hand. That's what that whole exercise, it seems trivial. Combing your hair with one hand. Change it into the other hand. There's other tools you have, they're right in front of you, but you're not willing to pick them up and use them. It's time to start picking them up and using them and realizing that neither one is better than the other. They're just different spokes. The end result is the same. You know, It works from, from in every area of your life that way. One last comment, and it's something technical. If you're sitting in the corners by one of these speakers, you'll notice we get feedback. Very often, it's the way we're speaking into the microphone. When you're holding one of these, these little mics, turn it so that it's pointing at your mouth and hold it close. And if you're sitting very close to the speaker, you may even have to take your hand and put it up in front because you're speaking into the sound and it's coming out of the speaker going right back in and that's what that squeal is. So if you have the, the, the microphone, uh, be cognizant of that, of the squeal. It's very hard to hear where you're sitting. Just look around you while you're speaking. If you see everybody kind of going like this, like fingers going down the chalkboard, you know what, that, what that's all about. Um, let's go for a, a couple more people on step one. And uh, we can't go too much longer because there is a couple things we have to go. 12 o'clock is a drop dead time. So we're going to go. We've got three exercises to do between now and 12. So uh, we'll go down the pipe. Um, I'll hand the mic out. There's a woman in the back. Why don't you start? And uh, well, you've got since you got the mic already, and I'll hand this one out to somebody else, and we'll go from there. Try to keep it short if you can, like two minutes, three minutes. Hi, my name is Stacy Alcoholic. Hi, Stacy. Recovering for this disease one day at a time, um, which is basically why I do a lot of seminars like this. And I wanna, I wanna thank um, everyone for being here and helping me through this. Um, Mark had mentioned earlier this, um, the paradigm of self-will. And um, my automatic response system, and um, that we're really doing the best we can at any given time. And you can be—I find with myself, I can—I cannot be drinking, I cannot be using drugs, but I can still be living the same behavior patterns. I can still be thinking the same way. I can still be making the same mistakes, and absolutely not realize why I keep falling into the same hole. And. I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm feeling like I'm ready for a purge, you know, when you purge the computer. These, um, it, it's just not working anymore, you know, and I think to me that's what this rocketing into the fourth dimension is about, is literally turning your will and your life over, you know, to God. Um, not an easy thing to do, you know, I have a situation in my life, I mean, I really have always believed in this program, speaking about practical issues going on in our life, because this is how we learn to live. Um, divorce seems to be the whole top, lot of topic of conversation. I, you know, I'm at the point, I'm at the finalization of a divorce that's been going on for six years. This man, like, living across the pond in Europe. And, um, you know, I have such an incredible attachment to losing what I have or not getting what I want that... It could make me drink, you know. And how do I get to the point where I can let go and trust God that no matter what happens, I'm going to be taken care of. No matter what happens, I'm going to learn to be responsible for my life and that things will be okay, you know. It's, it's um, 
it's it's just an I, I want to go to this fourth dimension. You know, I want to go to the point to the place where I can not be dependent my emotional sobriety is not dependent on anything external. What a person might say, what a person might do or how they react. You know, we're talking about these different levels of self will and is, is so much has to is so ego based, you know? That um I want to be able to look at people with compassion. I want to be able to look at myself with compassion. I want to be able to just be happy, you know? I mean, I'm tired of being miserable in sobriety, you know? Um, I wasn't in the beginning. I was so, When I first gave up drinking, I was so eternally grateful I had seven days sober, let alone a year sober, you know, that that was enough, but it's not enough anymore, you know? I want the emotional sobriety. So, you know, I don't know how to really turn my will over to the care of God and be okay with it, you know? I can say, oh, well, turn my will over to the care of God, no problem, you know? I would. I want to know how to really feel that. So, um, I'm hoping. I'm hoping to get some enlightenment, and I already am today. And, and it's just nice to be here. Thanks. Thanks. Here's the deal. <laughs> get ready. Here it comes. All my sponsees are sitting there quivering in your chair. They know what's coming. <laughs> We haven't got to the third step yet, but it's a decision. It's not turning your will and your life over to the God. It's making that decision. And you have to have some concept of what that decision means. And we're going to do an exercise to make sure you've got the right idea. Turn my will, what I want, and my life, all of my actions, over to God. What does that mean? That means that you don't get a vote. What you want doesn't matter. We don't care that you want the fourth dimension of existence. Sorry. <clears throat> if you're true, and I mean that in all seriousness, what you want doesn't matter. What is going to happen is you ha- that's an attachment. Can you see that? As long as you want something, that's you running the show again, and that's why you can drink and die. To use the computer analogy, you got two choices. You can wait till your hard drive crashes, and it sounds like it's it's wobbling. The system's unstable. It's getting ready to crash. Or you can erase that program from the disk and upload a whole new program. All right? Problem is, you don't know which program to choose. That's what the big book's for. They've already done the choice for you. All you have to do is start at the beginning and say, you know what? I don't get a vote. What I want doesn't matter. I know that the first 100 alcoholics did this that got them to God. It got them to the fourth dimension of existence, so I'm going to do what they did and I'm going to get what they got. However that happens. All right? Imagine this room right now just completely fogs over. I'm talking phase three. You can't see your hand in front of your face. It's that foggy. You can't see a single thing in front of you. Has any of us moved? Has anything changed in the room other than the fact that we can't see the presence that's already here and has been here all weekend? That is God in your life. When you're drinking, if I were, to, if this were alcohol, vodka right now, and I were to take a sip of it, I am no further away from God than I sit here 20 years sober. It's just the fog has come back into the room. When I drink the vodka, the fog comes up and I can't see my hand in front of my face. 
God is still there, but I'm blocked off from being able to see him. All right? You with me with that analogy? That makes sense? Working the 12 steps clears the fog so that you can realize that you are, here's the one that's going to blow your mind, you are in the fourth dimension of existence right here, right now. The problem is there's fog. You can't see it. This is the deal. The past is gone. The divorce that was eight years ago or whatever it was? Six. Six years ago. <laughs> Jeez, I wonder why he picked up on that. That's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. Yesterday doesn't exist anymore. What exists is right here, right now. We may all step out in front of a truck on the next break. So tomorrow may not exist. If you're, you made a very interesting statement. I want to get, I want to get to the point where I have the fourth dimension. I want to get somewhere. That means there's a finish line. There is no finish line. This is the deal. What has to happen is a shift in our attitude and our perceptions. We've got to get rid of the fog. God, love, compassion, it's all right here inside the shell. It has been there. We've just been fogged out. We can't see it. we just got to go through the work to get to that point. Does that make sense? That's what this weekend's about. The problem is you're trying to take and hit the hammer against the fog. You're going, it's still there. One of the tools we're going to have is a fan. It'll clear the fog out. <laughs> I could just a couple of comments. I uh, appreciate what you shared. I don't use the word want anymore in my life. Sounds to me like God's answering your, your prayer of, uh, for example, I want a healthy relationship, right? Okay, you don't have it, but he's answered your prayer because you still want it. Another, there's another book that has puts out this idea that as soon as you say I want, what you're saying is you're limiting the universe. God is answering your prayer. You say you, you, you want happiness, he's answered your prayer. Now, you don't have happiness, but he's answered your prayer. You still want it. Now, I want to ask you another question. Right this moment, right here, right now, do you lack anything? Do you lack anything? Okay. Is there anything right this moment, any of your needs not being met? Okay. The goal of spiritual living, the goal of these steps, the spiritual dimension of 10 and 11, is to allow you to touch that moment at which every need has been met, always will be. There is no past, there is no future, there's only now. Every past was a now, every future is a now. The more you're current present with the now, the more the need for something externally to somehow make you be okay begins to dissipate. You begin to experience going through life fearlessly. Like the big book says, I outgrow my fears. That's the purpose of some of what we're doing, is to share with you the tools that we've been given, the spiritual kit of tools, to experience what it is that I'm, that I'm talking about. To be able to truly love. To, and, and like David, Dave said, this is the deal. You make this decision in the third step and follow through, here's the deal. Your life's not your business. <laughs> it's just not your business. doesn't matter who's in it. don't matter for how long, if they come, if they go, and you're cool with it all. Whatever. My life is no longer my business. Because Then what happens is your life happens, but you are no longer involved with your life. What you're up against is you are far too involved with your life. <laughs> and here's the, here's the perfect relationship. You can only have one relationship at a time. 
God wants you to have the perfect relationship with you first. Because we don't have the skills to have relationships with other people until we have the skill of having a relationship with us. Check it. With, balance it against your own experience. Who in here has ever had a failed relationship? <laughs> Crashed and burned on the rocks. Emotional baggage. Lack of forgiveness. Resentment. Want to kill them. What is that? That's us trying to seek outside ourselves, which we cannot find within ourselves. Until you can figure out how to be okay with yourself, the question of sitting alone with no radio TV, when you're okay and have that skill, whether you choose to use it or not, that's something different. But the fact that you can, I say that in all seriousness, you know, you may like to listen to the radio. I find spirit in music. So one of the things, you know, if I, I do sit quietly with meditation twice a day, but I also love music. That's a medita- different kind of a meditation. But there's people that don't, in this room, that don't have the ability to be alone. If you were to put them in lockup and put them in solitary, they would literally go insane very quickly. You know? Now, they would not really be alone because of all the people they bring with them. <laughs> you know? Like ex-husbands across the pond. He is 3,000 miles separated by this giant ocean. And who's owning her life? Who's deciding whether it's okay for her to feel the way she's going to feel? Who's blocking her off from finding her, the, the, the key of, of your relationship, the guy that you're going to be rocking on a front porch with when you're 90 years old, maybe sitting in this room, and guess what? You wouldn't be able to find him with both hands because you're still attached to a guy who's across an ocean, who's owning your life. Actually, he's not across the ocean. You brought him here. <laughs> <laughs> you know? We'll have to do an exorcism. <laughs> I, I want to bring you guys, we're all laughing, but there's, uh, there was a shift of consciousness that a lot of you felt, and I'm not sure we're with it, and we touched a huge kernel of pain. You know, I don't know if you noticed, but I was weeping while she was sharing. But there's a lot of pain in this room, a whole lot of pain wrapped around this. And I can feel it. This is a key for you guys. It was a huge key for me. This is your life. God's grace lasts only as long as ignorance. We have opened the box inside your wall just now. Do not leave this weekend halfway through. An hour from now, if you start feeling angry and painful and hurt, don't get in your car and go home. It'll be a death sentence for you. You will spiral out of control. I've done it. You will hurt the people you care about the most. Walk with us through this deal. We'll get you to the other side. I promise. We'll give you some tools. You may not know how to work with them. We'll show you how to start down this path. Just feel the pain. Let it happen. Just be. That's the best thing I can say is just be. Don't run from it. You're among friends. There's more love in this room than any evil that you've got in your heart that won't go away. We'll figure a way through the other side. Thanks. Um, we want to look at some uh, second step uh, exercises because we come to the issue of God. And, uh, you know, the big book, of course, the whole chapter, We Agnostics Through the ABCs, is about the second step. Uh, 
this God issue, I, Thomas Merton said it best, when it comes to God, silence makes more sense than words. Uh, but I'll uh, do the best that I can. Uh, to me, our big book is so masterfully allows me to approach the God idea because every drunk I've ever worked with approaches the second step or the God issue with a lot of programming and conditioning, if you will, uh, uh, with ideas about God that I've discovered have absolutely nothing to do with God. Uh, most drunks and myself included my ideas about God, actually, quite frankly, were my ideas about my mother and father because they were the first two gods in my life. From there, I, I picked up a, a, some things uh, from organized religion, uh, Methodist Church, Catholicism, did my own weird wrap around it like we all do, and then somehow that's what I know about God. When you get done with your first step and you realize your tremendous need for power, drunk or sober, uh, your, your uh, complete inability to manage your life or have good relationships or the list goes on and on, that really opens you up to this idea of this God and, and this power, that's your need for this power. And I think most of you have an awareness of, uh, for the second step, this is not about an intellectual concept, if you will, uh, of God. I have to experience the power behind the name of God. So the book starts out and, and presents me with, a, with really a, a fork in the road, I think, to open me up to this, which is, the bitter end or spiritual living? you got to make a choice about that, Mark. What do you want to do? Uh, well, spiritual living. Now, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know, but it's a choice. And I'm an alcoholic and Norwegian, but I'm not an idiot. That seems like a fairly <laughs> bitter end, spiritually. Yeah, I'll, I'll go door two, spiritually. I'll give that a shot. Don't know what's in there. Hey, tried the bitter end. Don't, just don't want to go there anymore, okay? But can't stop going there. So, yeah, door two sounds like a neat deal. And so book says, okay, then if you want to open the door to door two, you got to, are you willing to believe in some power greater than you? Well, yeah, sure. Why not? What, what have I got to lose? Right. Bitter end or, okay. Yeah, that's sure. I'm willing to believe in some power greater than myself. I said, well, that's, that's all, that's all you need. And then it goes on a little further though. And, and this is one of these exercises. It says, you need to come up with a concept of this power. And, of course, in we agnostics, they use this word prejudice seven, six, seven, eight, nine times, and then they finally beg us to lay it aside. <laughs> prejudice means a preconceived thought or opinion. So when we ask you to do this spiritual exercise on the second step, I'm going to ask you to lay aside your current concept of God, if you will. Um, and, and it says, come up with a concept that makes sense to you. Because I, I can't stress those three words enough, makes sense to you. The ideas that I had about God and have had over the years, they didn't make sense to me. You know, I, I didn't understand Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I did. It didn't. I mean, there were so many things that just didn't make sense. So I had to begin. Beginning place was a God that made sense to me, and it sure wasn't about punishing and fear-based and wasn't any of that other stuff. So that becomes one component of our second step, and in this exercise. Uh, Dave pulled out all the incredible names, if you will, given that Bill uses in, in We Agnostics. And then uh, the second piece of this second step in We Agnostics is I'm faced with a self imposed crisis. Uh, I thought the lady described it, the last two ladies, so well. A self imposed crisis. She says, I'm miserable. Self imposed crisis. She says, 
I want happiness. Self-imposed crisis. It says, I can't postpone it or evade it anymore, so i got to make a choice. What's it to be? Either God's everything or God's going to be nothing. God's everything or God's nothing. What's my choice to be? And it is a choice we have to make in the second step. Last choice you make in the big book. From that point on, you make a decision and you follow through with action. As a matter of fact, in hindsight, it was the last choice I've ever made in my life. But there is a choice that you have to make about this. Is God going to be everything? See, now, real quickly, everything. If she's getting divorced, if God's everything, then I have to assume he's a part of that. Mm -hmm. You know, you see what I'm saying? He's got everything. My life is not my business anymore when you do that. Why would we do that? Because of step one. That's why. Because of step one. Because I was such a failure at living life drunk or sober. I was such a failure at it. That's why. Not everyone has to do that. A whole bunch of people out there doing just fine, thank you. I was not one of them. It just, it just didn't work. Life terrified me all the time. Didn't matter how much money I had. Didn't matter who was, who was in my life or who wasn't. I was scared of life all the time. The very fabric of my being, you know. Um, I couldn't live that way anymore. I just couldn't do it. I was going to drink myself to death if, if I didn't. So, that's, so that becomes our second step choice. So your, your exercise here, I'll have Dave say a few things, and let's take some time and, and uh, do this exercise, and I'll challenge you about laying aside your current concept of God, if you will. Once again, the real importance about this exercise is that nanosecond of consideration. Don't jump at the answer. And think about it in terms of, of past, what your past experience has been. What is your experience? You know, I have some people in my life that I know, that guys that I work with, that if you ask them what their higher power was, they'd give you this description of this loving God, et cetera, et cetera. And then you talk to them about, well, geez, what has your actions been for the last six, eight months? And it's all been about money, 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 money. You know, getting a better job and earning money and... And I say, well, which is your higher power? You know, you're not praying, you're not meditating, you're not doing 10 and 11, and all you're concerned about is this new important. Look at number two. It says high finance. Is that your higher power? You know, has that been your higher power? Have you had a shift? We'll, we'll take a couple minutes here. We'll take five minutes. You probably won't have a chance to finish this exercise. What the big book says, it says on 47.1, it says, do not let any prejudice you have against spiritual terms deter you from honestly, there it is, honesty, Asking yourself what they mean to do to you. Here are the spiritual terms. I went through the big book and pulled out anything, any words that are capitalized where they shouldn't be capitalized. And to me, that tells me Bill Wilson is talking about a God, a, a spirit, something bigger than him. And compare your experience to it. And just skim through these things and kind of get an idea of what is your God. What do these spiritual terms mean to you? Are you in a God of high finance? Is that, your fi is that what your goal is right now? Has that been your past experience for the last couple months? Or is your, your God a, a loving creator, you know, and that you're letting your, turning your will and your life over to? You know? Take a moment, think about it, and, and uh, we'll give you five minutes for it. Yeah, Bill. I must have just missed it. Oh, oh, back on, uh, yeah, it's back in one, uh, it's 151. <laughs> How could I forget that number? King Alcohol is one of them, yes. This was, by all means, this is not, this whole thing came about in a matter of, literally, I wrote all these exercises in about four hours when I had had about four hours of sleep. So there's, I guarantee you there'll be errors, you know, and if you know one like that, write it down. King Alcohol is one, so...
if it just went, ah. Oh. That's what we're looking for. We've stimulated something. There's an, how many people have ever done this instruction in the book and honestly asked themselves what these spiritual terms, which these are, mean to you? It's one of the in- basic instructions of the big book. Very few people ever, ever do it. Homework. Oh, no more homework tonight. Everybody that said, oh, when I said time's up, this is a jewel. This is another one of the diamonds in the mud for you. And if it, if it hasn't hit you, by all means, continue with it. Bill Wilson, in 1947, wrote an article for Guidepost. He said, simple, these principles, yet a large order indeed. When one tries to apply them, he is bound to collide with a most heavy obstacle. That obstacle is his own pride. If you haven't been touched by starting this process for just even five minutes, I guarantee you, you get spiritual pride. Something's blocking you. You are prejudiced. You have a preconceived idea of what your power of, of God is in your life. Take a look at what he's been and what he is now. Um, hopefully when we start sharing him as a group, you'll see it from a different perspective. Yet AAs find that if we go all out in daily practice of our 12 steps, we soon commence to live in a new, unbelievable world. Our pride yields to humility and our cynicism to faith. We begin to know serenity. We learn enough patience, tolerance, honesty, and service to subdue our former master. Insecurity, resentment, and unsatisfied dreams of power. We find that God can be relied upon, that our strength can come out of weakness, that perhaps only those who have tasted the fruits of dependence on a higher power can understand the true meaning of personal liberty, freedom of the human spirit. That's what this exercise is designed for. Let me read you a couple of the... See, I don't do these exercises. I've done this in the past, but before I started, I didn't want to prejudice myself for the workshop. And I'm having a neat experience because I'm doing them with you. And I'll just read you a couple of mine real quick. Our Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, I wrote down, I got sober on the fellowship because I didn't believe in God. I wasn't raised with God. High finance, I thought that money would solve all of my problems. Notice that's a past tense. I don't believe that anymore. Um, A power greater than myself. It must be if I'm to survive step one because I have lack of power is my dilemma. Uh, Here's one. If you had asked me before this workshop about Christ, I would have said, yeah, I'm a Christian. Here's what I wrote. I'm not completely sure. I'm trying to believe God was obviously within him. I need more experience. Brotherhood of man. God has no grandchildren. We're all brothers and sisters under God. Devil. I wrote drinking. The devil owned my butt. Boss universally. If I've tried and lived the third step prayer. Creative intelligence. When I rightly relate myself to him. Universal mind. I get my thinking back if I'm in conscious contact. Spirit of nature, his majesty displayed. Czar of the heavens, czar is a title, God is experiential. Newfound friend, my experience confirms this. That's enough out of me. You want to share some of yours? Or you... No, actually, uh, <clears throat> I'd like to hear from. Uh, I'd like to hear from some people out there. Some of. Uh, and and I know there wasn't much time there. Some of you have been able to write some stuff out and or some of your experiences with the uh, second step. And then uh, I think we, we've got the second step propositions in after yes. that, right? Yeah, we've got the so, second step proposition to go after this. But I'd like to hear from a couple of you in the uh, audience around this issue of the 
the second step on it. You know, the short form is coming to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. So, if something you wrote down, like Christ, that my answer on that one really blew my mind. If you had one of those, share it. You know, we'll do let's say ten minutes of that, and then we'll jump into the second step proposition because that's the real key. Anybody want to uh, to offer some of their experience with this? Yeah, right over here. Is it on? Uh, turn on the other mic. Sometimes those mics are dependent. There you go. I'm an alcoholic, and uh, my name is Gene. Hi, Gene. I just want to go down on record that um, my ex-wife's uh, name is uh, Nancy. Not All right. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Not the plaintiff. I referred to her as the plaintiff before. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've been his sponsor for years, and I never knew her name was Nancy. <laughs> Um, I just like to um, to uh, relate back to uh, both exercises and real quickly, and uh, by saying that um, Dave and I were together on a um, on a twelve step call, and uh, we were um, reviewing uh, my uh, one of my fifth steps uh, where I was blocked, and which um, he's told me that uh, in the eighth step, the last word in the eighth step is all, and it's written twice, and I had um, failed to do a ninth step with uh, with my brother. Uh, I haven't spoken to him in uh, over 17 years. Hold it closer. Over 17 years I haven't spoken to him. Uh, it was over a disagreement with uh, my mother's death and all. And um, he, re- he uh, analyzed it as uh, I was the uh, judge, jury, and executioner at that particular time. Um, I hear a report that, uh, number one, that I, I had made that amends. I had sought him out. I found uh, where he has uh, lived and everything else and all. Made the phone call and... Um, stated uh, my part in the situation and asked uh, what I can do to uh, make the situation better. I can't tell you right now that um, everything I'm going through in my, in my personal life, but i got to tell you that um, you know they talk about the promises coming after the ninth step. I believe that um, I have had um, a spiritual awakening of, uh, of, of the variety type that they describe in the big book. It's just, it's just so incredible. And that... Um, I've done this exercise uh, of, of God and everything else and all because I, uh, I like the workbook that we use uh, down in Bernardsville. Uh, it shows me in the index in the back how many times uh, God is listed in the big book. And uh, I've had the opportunity to go through it and, and look at it. And um, I'm here to report now that uh, God is everything or he's nothing at all in my life. Thank you very much for, uh, for this program. Thanks, Gene. Yeah, would you hand the mic up here, Gene? Front row. Hi, I'm Lisa, alcoholic. I'm from I'm from North Reading, Massachusetts, and um, like this. Okay. Um, I just wanted to share where I was um, when I was uh, filled up with myself, um, sober. I thought um, doing well in Alcoholics Anonymous, and. Um, found myself in another failed marriage and um and I gave birth to my second son and he was in the ICU unit um for months and the day came when the doctors told me to think about disconnecting everything and um and I wasn't in a spiritual place where I even prayed and and so someone came up and prayed for my son and um 
he coughed up his breathing tube and like breathed for the first time in his life. And being presented with that evidence um, that there is a power greater than myself, which I had struggled with in the seven years that I had been sober, I took this baby home and um, felt that, you know, it was uh, God punishing me for everything I had done in my past because he does have cerebral palsy. And, um, you know, I felt really sorry for myself because I was, you know, in another field of marriage and, um, and I did pick up. And um, when I came back into Alcoholics Anonymous, I was introduced to the steps in the big book. And what a gift. Um, by going through this child... Um, is such a blessing in my life. He's 14 years old now, and he's fine. Um, you know, he sees, he's happy just the way he is. You know, the problem is always me, you know, and um, I am just, like, so grateful that that I was given the gift of, of this. And um, what I wrote down for um, Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous is that despite everywhere that I go, it's only in these rooms that that I feel the presence of God. Um, and the other thing I just want to say is Eric, that's my son's name. He, um, I had to take him with me when I started coming back to meetings. And all my kids have different last names, which Joanne laughed at me when you said, she said, well, you have to say that because you've had so many exes. You have to introduce them by name. So, but Eric, <laughs> but Eric for the longest time... Um, at one time when he was about three, um, everyone was going around um, introducing themselves, and he tapped me. He said, Mom, they're, they're talking about you. They keep saying your last name. He thought that my last name was alcoholic for, like, three years. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you. Yeah, Ozzy, you got a mic back there? Hand it back. Working? Yeah, it's working. Oh, this uh, this is great. When I when I came in, especially on this second step, uh, I finally accepted Papa Schmurf as a as a higher power because he had a beard and someone gave him one. So I said, you know, other people have statues on their dashboards of their cars. So I'll pop put Papa Schmurf up there. But once I started doing that, was a willing. And I asked God in my life, "Will you come in and, sh- and show yourself to me?" And Thank God for these steps, and I did. And at that time, there, you talk about money, and I had a very successful medium-sized business. I had a uh, the estate that I, uh, that I had, the business, that stuff. And back, this is back 20 years ago. It was about three and a half million dollars. And then all of a sudden, I had a rush of wind after after praying, walked around, and uh, and the Lord came to me. I said, "Follow me, believe in me, and give up everything." And within six months, I had that completely given away. The kids thought I was nuts to follow, to follow a life. And, uh, and when God came into my life, right away he introduced me to his son, Jesus, and then to the Holy Spirit. And the peace that came in is, is there all the time. I may have bad days, but I'm so just so grateful for this program bringing me to the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Ozzy. What a testament. Money's not the answer. It's really not the answer. Yeah, over here. Who's got the mic? 
Would you hand that back to her? Hi. Hello? Oh, it's on. Hi, everybody. My name is Jean, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Jean. I want to share on the second step as we go into it. Uh, for me, this is a step that has grown and grown and grown as years went by because there were... Being an alcoholic, I have a hard time reading what the words actually say. Now, you would think I could read. I don't read well. It took me a few years in the program before I saw in the second step could restore me to sanity. And I had not accepted that God could restore me to sanity. I thought I was turning my will and life over, but I thought I would remain the same discombobulated, crazy lady with wild moods and uncontrollable emotions forever. And God could restore me. I did not have to be the crazy lady if I could believe in the restoration to sanity. Uh, when I first came in the program, I'm really fortunate in that I hit a low bottom and I, was, I had, had my ego bashing. Thank you very much. It was done. I was through. I wasn't fighting alcohol. Uh, the, one on, the item on your exercise that really, Im, really touched me was the power of God. My problem was a lack of power, and there's no question about it. I had no way, no, no way out. I had to find power somewhere. And I think anybody that really gets hit hard by the first step is going to be compelled to find a power greater than themselves. Um, but even in finding that sense of power, first in the fellowship, then as time passed and I grew in other areas, I became comfortable with Mother Nature. I became comfortable with a, a broader concept of my God. And finally, you know, finally, I've... I've I've understood that it's progress, not perfection. And I really don't want to ever finish the first step. I'm so glad that I keep getting new insight as time goes on. Um, but this power that my higher power has is not some mystical mood off in a retreat somewhere. This is a high-octane power that drives everyday life. And I need that power. I don't have to work on my own gas. Thank you. What a great testament, you know. How many people have seen people using AA as a spiritual filling station? You know, they can't be away from a meeting. You know, I've, I, they walk in and they're just frazzled. And yeah, I got a topic. It's been three days since I've been to an AA meeting, and man, I need help. You know, my God goes with me everywhere. I, all I have to do is stop for a second, get into the moment, and man, it's just like taking a plug and plugging it in. Boom! I'm energized. Let's go. Provided I give away all that power. If I plug in and I keep it all for myself, eventually my battery can't handle it. It starts to overcharge. In very short order, I'm in deep trouble. 
Let's uh, we we. I hate to cut it off. We're having so much fun, but we got one more thing we got to do before we go to lunch. This tool is the single most powerful tool that I have seen uh, with the guys that I've worked with, and it's changed my life. It's called the Second Step Proposition Exercise. For those of you in this room that have done it recently, try it again. <laughs> Look at him. He's he's so sad. He just did it. The person that did it recently is not the person that's sitting in this room. You've had a shift this morning. You're a different person. That's the beauty of step work. I ask, get people ask me that question all the time. Well, I just I wrote a, a four step, you know, uh, seven years ago, and I never fifth stepped it or finished the amends, you know. And they're working with me now, and they want to, they want to know, can I use that inventory? I'm like, are you that person? You know, you've, hopefully you've changed a little bit in the last seven years. Throw it away. Let's start new. Let's let's start with the person that's sitting here and see what comes to you, and we'll go from there. Uh, if you got a big book and you want to flip open to it, uh, go to fifty three colon two, second paragraph on page fifty three. If you're like me, this paragraph is highlighted and starred and and fifteen different colors, and there's notes written in the margins, and it's. It says on 53.2, it also says it on top of the sheet, but if you haven't got the sheet yet, uh, it's coming around. It says, when we became alcoholics, comma, so let's stop right there. The first assumption is that you're alcoholic. Now, there's people in this room that are not alcoholic, all right? There's, there's, this, these are open retreats. There's probably Al-Anons and OAs and all kinds of things in these rooms. But there's other people in this rooms that, that are thinking they're alcoholic that may not be actually alcoholic. There's a whole series of exercises. And if we were doing a nuts and bolts retreat, we'd be taking a hard look at, are you a real alcoholic? All right? So this, getting to this point, we've just gone past the second step area where, the, where, where the, uh, the God references and the spiritual exercises. It says right there, it says, lay aside the drink question. Well, if we're going to lay aside the drink question, it really doesn't matter from this point. The program is universal. For, there's over 250 groups using the same 12 steps. They change one word whatever it is that they're powerless over. So Bill's starting out here and he says, when we became alcoholics, he's talking about the hopelessness. The book was written for alcoholics. That's, in my experience, why this is, is here. If you've got a different addiction and you're, you're in this room for a different thing that you're, you're powerless over, when you became whatever, all right? Because here's the catch after the comma. Crushed by a self-imposed crisis. We've done a lot of talk about that this morning. We could not postpone or evade. We, we had to fearlessly... Face the proposition that either God is everything or else he is nothing. God either is or he isn't. What was our choice to be? Well, if God is everything, guess what? That means you got to give God everything. Just like I was talking about the lady in the back. What you want doesn't matter. You don't get a vote. What happens in Alcoholics Anonymous is we come in and we say, God, if you just get me sober, that's all I want. Just get me sober. I'll do whatever you want. Guess what? He did. He got you sober. And then we're saying, well, God, if you just make him burn in hell, that, 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 that ex-husband, you know, and if you just get me this job, I'll be happy. And if you get me this, I'll be happy. And we start setting out all these if-thens. If this, then I will. Wrong. You asked for one thing, and that was sobriety. Everything else is gravy. Well, if God is everything, that means you have to give God everything, all of your life. That's what this exercise is about. So let's get quiet for a second and think about what areas of my life have I not given to God or am I unwilling to give to God? And think back on the questions that we did last night from the step one exercise. Could it possibly be the areas that you're volatile, the road rage, 
Could that be one of the areas that you haven't given to God? The, uh, you know, any of those questions that you thought maybe had a little of a negative idea, that's the reason we wrote those questions out last night. Maybe those are areas that you haven't given to God and you need to put down. Don't go beyond that. Just fill out the left-hand column on the middle of the page there. Areas you haven't or are unwilling to give to God. And uh, we'll give you a couple minutes to think about that and do that. So what hasn't she given to God in there? See, there's some things for her to identify. She's either unwilling. There's a payoff in being miserable to the ego. I hate to say that, but there's a payoff. Um, Sometimes we wallow in the messy bog, getting a misshapen pleasure out of it. (laughs) All of us have an archetype called a victim, but... I'm just saying, I, there's been a lot of things said here that you could look at relative to what have I either haven't or been unwilling to give up. One of the idea, for example, because relationship seems to come up a lot, is what if it's none of your business whether you're in one or you're not? Why don't you give that up? Or how about this? Why don't you give up the belief system that you need someone else in your life in order for you to be okay? Etc. That's the kind of stuff you're trying to look at in the second step proposition. Uh, that kind of a thing. Or any of you, for example, that may have this idea that there's a punishing God, right? I mean, are you willing to give up that idea? Are you willing to give up your current concept of God? You know, it's just, I've always laughed about the concept of a punishing God. I mean, what what kind of a God would punish people who are sound asleep, dreaming they're awake, doing things? You know, in, like they're just... You know, it just doesn't fit. Doesn't fit in anything that I've ever experienced. See? I suppose that's why there's such a thing as a God of mercy, right? So, but those are some ideas I'm just trying to throw out about: am I, am I willing to to give that up? And then you know, that that kind of a thing. Those of us with spare tires that we're trying to get rid of, you know, we haven't been able to be too successful on it. We keep eating. Those of us who are afraid to forgive. We forgive, but we can't forget those type of deals. Those of us who have been extremely harmed, those grievous harms, child abuse or molestations, rapes, you know, maybe that's an area that needs to be given to God. Hmm. Maybe you need to put that timer on there. Here's the purpose of this exercise. When we get done with it, there's going to be a tool that's going to be a very valuable tool for you. The next half of this exercise is we need to take a look at why those things, whatever you wrote down on this sheet, why are you afraid? What are you afraid of? What are you going to lose by giving it to God? For example, let's take one of those grievous harms. Let's say somebody raped you. Why are you afraid to let that person off, to forgive them? Because in your mind, that's giving them back to God. Let God be the judge. You want control. You still you still want them to suffer. You're afraid for them not getting justice. The only problem is you want to be the judge, the jury, and the executioner. That's the kind of thing you need to write down. One of the things that it hit me very strongly that I wrote down was the health of my family. I can't mentally, I can't even go to the place of thinking about one of my kids getting hurt or, God forbid, even getting killed. Why am I so afraid of that? What, what triggers in me? 
what's that fear? I need to take a look at it and write that out. That's life and death stuff. I watched a guy go through that. He showed up at an AA meeting. He'd just gotten back from the morgue identifying his son who died, burned to death. He didn't drink. And I thought to myself, I could never do that. What am I afraid of? Is my God everything or is he nothing? You know, Do I want that? Absolutely not. But I need to touch those fears and follow the fear tool. We're going to finish the fear tool. We're only halfway down the pipe, so don't stop on this. Don't let fear distract you from writing the truth down. So let's finish the second half. You got any comments on that before we start that? No. So let's, why don't you take a look at those items and write down what you're afraid of. Why are you afraid to give these items to God? Let's all go to our big books, <clears throat> page uh, 68. 68, colon 3. It says, We never apologize to anyone for depending upon our Creator. You notice it's a capital C. We can laugh at who think, those who think spirituality is a way of weakness. Paradoxically, it is the way of strength. Hmm. Step one, lack of power, and this is the way of strength. What's that about? The verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. What a great definition of courage that is. We never apologize for God. Instead, we let him, capital him, demonstrate action through us, means we have to do the action, what he, capital he, can do. And look at this next instruction here. Most alcoholics get this halfway correct. We ask him, capital him, that means we're going to have to say a prayer. We ask him to remove our fear. That means the stuff we just wrote down on the right-hand column, whatever those fears are that are listed there, we're going to have to go into merit, prayer and meditation and ask God to remove those from us. What we miss is the second half of that sentence. It's an and sentence. It means there's two pieces to it. And we would have to ask God to direct our attention what he would have us be. Not what he would have us do. What would he have us be? Let me give you an example from my sheet. I talked about my kids, right? Anybody in my family getting hurt? I wrote down pain, loss, alone, drinking, and dying. That's what I'm really what I'm afraid about. So I will take each one of those, and at the bottom of the sheet there, I will put number one, I will be pain. Number two will be loss. Number three will be alone. Number four will be drinking. Number five will be dying, Right? But I don't write the fear in those blanks. What do I write down? I go into meditation and I say, when I'm afraid of pain, what does God want me to be? He wants me to be faithful. So I would write down in space number one, faithful. He wants me to be trusting. So I will write trusting. Courageous. I'll write down courageous. Tolerant. I'll write down tolerant. All right. Then I go to my second fear. Loss. What does God want me to be when I'm, I'm afraid of loss? Once again, he wants me to trust. I have to trust that he's got a plan. So I'll write down trusting again. 
you know. Take these fears into meditation and write down when you're feeling this fear, the question to ask yourself is when I'm feeling this way, when I have this fear and I'm gripped by this fear, what would God want me to be in that state? And that's what goes down. The numbers should match what's in the right-hand column. Does that make sense? All right. When we get done with this exercise in your guides, if you go to your guides in your, your handout, the big 25-pager, on page 5 of the guide there's a description of the second step proposition exercise it's in essence what you've done when we get this whole thing done if you go to page uh, what is it seven of the guide you'll notice there's a card there that that those blocks represent a three by five card when we're done with this exercise your homework assignment is going to take these columns that we've just written out and transfer them to a three by five card. All right? The areas of your life that you're afraid to give to God or you haven't given to God goes on the left-hand side. You draw a line, what you're afraid of. You write down the fears. You flip the card over and on the back, you write down what God wants you to be. And then you carry the card with you. So you're going through, the, you're going through your day and the phone rings, in my case, and it's the school nurse and she says, you know what, your son just got hurt. He's on his way to the hospital you know, go, and you hang up the phone, if you have the presence of mind, you can stop right there and you go, oh my God. And your mind starts to race and the hamster's on the wheel. I can reach in my pocket and say, God, please help me. I need your help now. I look at the card and I say, which fear has been triggered? God, please remove this fear from me right now. What does he want me to be? And I got something to focus my attention on. God wants me to be courageous. He wants me to be faithful. He wants me to be a good father. He wants me to be of service to others. God, help me to do that. Now, instead of me being in a panic, driving like an idiot on the way to the hospital, I'm in a place of trust and faith and confidence. I didn't have to write an inventory. I didn't have to call my sponsor. I didn't have to go to an AA meeting. All I had to do was watch and realize there's an emotional disturbance in me. Ergo, I must be afraid. Go to the card, and it's in my pocket. Powerful, powerful, powerful tool. There's dozens of people in this room that have done this exercise over time and it's changed their lives, myself included. Read these four pages tonight when you to read it's a it's a pretty detailed explanation about this exercise. But for right now, let's take five minutes and, and, and meditate on what God wants you to be for the various fears and we'll start writing those down now. You got anything on that? Uh, no, I'll wait till they're done and then okay. I'm just gonna share what happened last time I did this. Cool. Once again, homework assignment to finish this up. There's a, a huge diamond in the rough on this one. There's a, there's a tremendous change to be had by finishing the second step proposition exercise and taking it through. One of the things that I just wrote down was I was talking about, I talked to you about trusting God in relation to my kids. There's another half to that sentence. It's trust and rely. Remember, what I want doesn't matter. I don't get a vote. I have to rely that God has a plan. If you miss the trust and rely, you miss the opportunity of realizing the gratitude for them being in my life in the first place. My children are a gift. If God calls them home to be with him, how terrible is that? It's terrible for me if I'm attached to them, 
but I can also find the other side of the coin and be the tremendous gratitude for every single day that I get those kids and the gifts that they give me over and over and over and over again. Now, do I want them to go home to God? Not yet. I'm greedy. I'm not that well yet. But this, there's a shift that occurs, and I just had a little mini shift. I call those God shots. I had a little God shot writing this stuff with you guys. I'm going to let Mark talk about his experience with uh, Second Step Proposition. Uh, Mark, alcoholic. Mark. Uh, let's see. I'll take uh, last uh, last year, Dave and I did the Fellowship of the Spirit in New York, and we met together and swapped fifth steps and so really after really after the fellowship of the New Yorker during that I I, uh, I did some work with this particular piece and I, I took uh, four areas I took and I'll, I'll talk to you about maybe two of them I took smoking uh, I didn't smoke start smoking until I was 33 years old smoked for uh, I guess I smoked 20 23 years but I want to tell you what happens with that I did this exercise this was in like what early August right yeah July August. December 3rd, I wake up at Hazleton. I'm in their Stop Smoking Cessation program. <laughs> Seven days. Any of you ever done heroin, I feel sorry for you. That's about what it felt like. But it, <laughs> I, what I want to tell you is this stuff really works. And, and now some of you have seen me smoke, but what you don't know is this is my first attempt at quitting smoking, and you'll, you'll get a kick out of this. The woman down there, she gave me a little booklet for when I relapsed and I was very offended. Because <laughs> after all, I'm Mark, don't you know? And uh, she explained to me that uh, in all the years she's been helping people quit cigarettes, she's never known anyone who in their first attempt ever quit and stayed off. And so she was sure I probably wouldn't. But in then I did, I may have found this book helpful. And uh, But anyway, make a long story short, you know, uh, this this is working. I, I uh, gosh, I used to smoke two and a half packs a day. I think I went forty days, uh, and I'm probably still only smoking ten a day. And I'm going to pick another quit date. And I also have ceased fighting. I, I don't. I, I've stopped fighting that. But the point I'm really trying to make is, if you'll do this exercise, particularly if you've got some time, you'd be amazed at the areas of your life in which agnosticism has come back into your life. That's what I call it. And uh, so that was my one experience with, uh, I also wrote some very specifically around some, some finances, uh, combination of debt, investment, and some other things. And uh, boy, I'm here to report to you uh, uh, five, six months later, just incredible changes in that, uh, that area. Uh, so this stuff really works. I, I guess my experience with all that is that which I'm unwilling to give to the power so the power can impact uh, it's, it's probably going to stay about the way it's always been because self-reliance just doesn't work for me. Uh, I'll tell you uh, another thing, and I did this one several years ago. This is this area of relationships. Uh, I've been uh, married and divorced uh, four times, and so I know what it's like thinking you need someone in your life to be okay. Um, <laughs> And I had some young whippersnapper about six months gave me a consideration which kind of spun my head around. He asked me to consider that, is it possible that it might be the will of God that I never have anyone in my life? And I told him that I'd never considered that, but that maybe I ought to get open to it. And so the point I'm making is the second step proposition was it's no longer any of my business if that ever happens. If it does, so be it. And if it doesn't, so be it. And I, I just don't care anymore. I just don't care. Uh, I see what happens when I care. <laughs> so I don't care anymore, and great peace comes in. So 
This is a very powerful exercise. And again, if you're sitting here with some time, it's a great one for, for you to look at and say, see, what you put on this list, I promise you, are the areas that are causing you suffering. It's areas you've been unwilling to give to God. That's probably what is on this list. And the suffering can end if you give it to God and take it through a process based on my experience. So I'd like to hear from uh, some of you. Yeah. Um, it's not just your suffering. I guarantee you, the people around you are suffering as well. It's causing harm and damage in other people's lives. You know, remember the tornado exercise? Uh, we, we spiral out of control and, and we hurt everybody. Everybody that's around us gets affected by it. Um, who's got the mics? There's one over there. Is there anyone closer? Because we got a, we need a mic over here. Oh, there's one over there. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. Hi, everybody. Is it on? Nope. You need to turn the other one on. Okay, we got the other one. They're both on? Try Hi. There you go. Okay. You're on. I'm Stephanie, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Stephanie. And um, when he was explaining this um, exercise, I knew immediately what I was going to write down. Um, and it really brought up a very severe emotional reaction. Um, I wrote down migraines. And even before he told us to write down what you were afraid of, I, had, I knew, I just wrote, I was afraid that God wouldn't heal me. And um, I realized I never really have gotten on my hands and knees and asked God to help me. I've been running around for five years to doctors and neurologists and clinics and holistic people and you name it, I've done it. And I've never gone to God, never won. And I know it's because I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'm going to have to live with this. Wow, is that powerful or what? Yeah, hand the mic over here, will you? Hello. Hello, my name is Ken, and I'm an alcoholic. Um, on this list, I put work. Um, um, finances has always been a problem for me. Um, and they talk about that self-crushing uh, defeat in other areas of my life. Like, this has been a problem with me with uh, isms. But it's funny... Um, I realized that work is coming back up as a problem. I own my own business and there's a lot of fear and I'm not, I stopped turning it over to God, whatever it was meant to be. And I, I'm realizing that, you know, I was doing that over the summer after I had listened to you, Mark, at, a, at uh, Detroit, but I stopped doing it. And I realized like I'm starting to get anxiety um, and, uh, and all these fears. And a lot of it is, uh, you know, uh, in my business, I'm a young uh, young man, and I've done a lot of great things, but I'm afraid of being too successful, too envious. Am I going to get so? Uh, am I going to start to become more successful? I'm afraid of decisions. I'm afraid of that. Uh, here again, if I become too successful, too focused on money, am I going to lose my sobriety? Because I'm afraid of losing my sobriety today, because that's happened in the past, because of money and work. So I don't know how to. I try to um, turn it over, but it's very fearful for me, you know, because, uh, uh, you know, uh, when it comes to either making decisions or whatever, uh, you know, like, 
Like, am I going to be, am I going to become successful? Am I going to become high on my horse and forget about AA? And, and that is a big fear for me. I'm afraid of success. I'm afraid of going forward to be successful. And it actually holds me down in life and causes me a lot of stress. So that's, that was what I put down major for me right now. We got some hands over here. Could you send the mic over here? Matthew's good. Matthew's good. Yep, you're on. Hello, hello. You're on. We have, we right. got, by the way, let's keep it short because we got five minutes and there's several hands. <laughs> hint, hint. Um, I did this the first time just like a month and a half ago, and uh, I wrote down here. You know, I'm looking. I got my cards in my pocket, and I'm doing this like, shit. I just did this. You know, uh, Mark's like, you might have missed something. Obviously, I, I caught a, a judgment that I had when I was talking to him last night when I did my review and. Uh, so I've got stuff on here, uh, this girl I'm hot after, emotional health, judgment of others, judgment of myself, how I get help, my, ex, my ex-girlfriend, whose name is Ruth. Uh, <laughs> I put her name down here, I didn't put my ex-girlfriend. Um, anyway, I put, I put out everything I'm unwilling to give to God or haven't, or don't feel like is in God's hands, and then I put down what I'm afraid of. But I just needed to share this with you all. When I did this a month ago, I couldn't get to the next part about what would I think God would want me to be? Because I thought, if I write it down, I need to be able to make that happen. Mm-hmm. I need to get from ridge to shore myself. And it's that whole trap of knowledge that Castaneda writes about. Like, I know I'm supposed to be peaceful, trusting, but I don't have the power to make that happen. Um, and it was a real big hindrance. I'd, I'd call Dave up and want to talk about everything else except, well, how's, how's the exercise? You know? <laughs> well, I know where it is. You know, uh, It's on my table. Um, <laughs> But to look at this from just a month ago, and I'm like, wow, I'm glad I got some blank index cards back at the room because I needed to write them back down here. Uh, some of the stuff when I look at it from a month ago isn't, isn't stuff that I even think about during the day. Um, but this stuff is. It's like, here it is. Um, I just need to share that. Great. Thank you. Right, thank you very much. Over here. Yeah, Rich? Yeah, hi, everybody. My name's Rich. I'm an alcoholic. I'm very yeah, close. You're probably going to have to cover it with your hand so that it doesn't get you. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was also I was at the Fellowship of the Spirit in August and I was having um, extreme difficulties with personal relationships and just trying to find that perfect person for me or whatever it was I was looking for and I did the exercise it worked wonderfully um, what God wanted me to be was happy happy by myself and, and as my, my friends used to tease me in early sobriety about that part in the 12 and 12 we read last night about there are some people who for whatever reason can't have a family life and Rich that might be you and for whatever reason you might be alone and just be to, to dedicate your life to serving AA and the people and when I take a step back and look at that life it's a wonderful life I, I, I have tremendous freedom at work I make three meetings a, w- a day two or three meetings a day I have seven or eight sponsees I have a fill ri- full rich wonderful life and and i was going through and sure enough as soon as i turned this over to god he started putting these wonderful women into my life and my problem is it's like the first drink with me if if a woman if 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 they come into my life i immediately want to grab control and i'll take it over from here god and and that's when i i keep i i i routinely screw it up and and end myself in, in a bag of pain and, and it's not fun stuff so I'm, I'm doing it again, and, and I, I know what I have to do. I just have to follow through with it and keep let him have it. I give it to him, but I have a tendency to, to take it back. Thanks. Wow. You know, I've never heard that before. <laughs> uh, yeah, in the back. You got a mic? Frank? Who's got the mic? 
Frank, alcoholic. Um, I had a real hard time uh, putting things down on this list because my mind is like uh, scattered. Um, but the first thing that came to my mind was my mind was my son Frank. Um, Dave, you heard me share about this before. I think you'd remember, but uh, he's a addict. He's sitting in jail, and uh, I keep wanting to get him sober, and I can't seem to do it. And I, I just, I was thinking, you know, why, why won't I give it to God? Um, and I just wrote down that uh, because uh, I think God or the devil will take him from me. And I don't want that to happen. And it's very, very, very painful. And it definitely affects my relationship with everybody around me. When, he, when he's out, I'm a basket case because he's always either in jail or in rehab for the, since he's 10, 10, 11 years old. He's 20 now. Um, and, and it's very painful to me. Um, the second one was, was my mother. And I don't have an answer for that yet. Um, I have to really meditate on that. Uh, another one was uh, was I just did another four step this past weekend, not this weekend, last weekend with my sponsor, and it was this guy Sammy. Um, I won't go into the issues, but I want to kill him. Um, and I don't know. And I put down the reason why I don't want why I don't want to give it to God is because I want to punish him. And I shared that last weekend with my sponsor. He was like asking me the same questions: was why can't you give it away? It's been more than twenty years. I mean, get over it, get on. Um, and uh, sometimes my life. Um, and and sometimes I think that sometimes I don't think he'll he'll do what's best for me because I think sometimes I do what's best for me, um, and I'm just really beginning to realize now that I don't know what's best for me. Thanks. You got you know no well we're we're out of time the uh, Glenn's giving me the high sign the signal is the, the the CDs are dead. We'll pick up with you when we come back. Here we, uh, you guys have some time to. Lunch is in seven minutes, so go see if you can get in line and get to the bathroom before lunch. And uh, we'll be back here at 1 o'clock sharp. Thanks.